Today on Ag News Daily. When we were relying on GPS technology to drive the tractor, now we are relying on data, the GPS technology gathered, and is helping us drive decisions. Good afternoon and happy Thursday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I know all week I've been talking about how I'm just kind of dragging, but I had a Red Bull this morning and uh, I've completely changed that feeling today. I am feeling the opposite, but that is due to self-infliction. I had a really big lunch today, Ashton. I had a milkshake and a hamburger and fries, and I'm feeling a little lethargic. But uh, I'm really excited about today's podcast because we've got Doug Johnson from Moody's Analytics joining. And Doug is a fantastic guy. I worked with him on a few webinars here and there. And he just has a lot of cool information to share, Ashton. Absolutely. He certainly does. And I ran out of time on asking all my questions, unfortunately, but I'm just going to have to tune in to some of these micro podcasts that he likes to call them folks. And you'll you'll hear about that momentarily. Absolutely. We may have to even have him on again sometime soon, Ashton. But in the meantime, I want to keep news short today because Doug has a lot of good information to share here coming up. So let's hit some quick headlines for today, Ashton, and I'll kick things off with a quick update on the $1.9 trillion stimulus package that we have now seen the House and Senate pass. We were kind of waiting to see when President Biden would sign that stimulus package, and it has been confirmed he will be signing off on the stimulus bill on Friday. So this new bill, of course, includes a lot of components for agriculture, including about $5 billion in historic assistance for minority farmers, as well as about $3.6 billion that's earmarked for aid to the food supply chain, which includes funds for commodity purchases and retooling of facilities. So we will continue to see how that money gets dispersed and how quickly we see things uh, happen on that front, because we all know the government can be a little slow when it comes to distributing aid like that and um, managing projects and, and priorities like that. Well, Delaney, I have a two-parter here concerning some news from the EPA. Yesterday, we saw the U.S. Senate confirm new EPA Administrator Michael Reagan by a 66 to 34 vote. The appointment of Reagan was supported by 24 ag groups, including Farm Bureau, the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, and all the renewable fuel organizations. And the second half of this news coming from EPA is talking about the U.S. biofuel blending obligations. As we know, they missed their deadline for obligations last year. And so we're still kind of uncertain about, you know, what the the rules are going into 2021, but the EPA is considering issuing proposals for those blending obligations for both 2021 and 2022 at the same time since the pandemic did delay that decision. An EPA spokesperson said that the agency is still looking at options, but did not comment on whether it was considering combining the proposals. The agency has previously combined proposals for multiple years of requirements after missing deadlines, most recently in 2015, when it dealt with 2014, 2015, and 2016 at the same time. So it's nothing that we haven't seen before. Now we're just kind of waiting for that confirmation on whether or not they are going to combine these options or go for something different. 
Yes, I saw that piece of news as well, Ashton, so I'm glad you mentioned it. I also saw this interesting piece of news. We've seen the World Pork Expo canceled for two consecutive years, but the National Pork Producers Council said today they are planning on holding this year's World Pork Expo in Des Moines, Iowa. This event, Ashton, is a pretty cool one, so if they do have it, we'll have to get you back up here to Iowa and get you go into that event since you are a big gal, but this event usually draws in about 20,000 people and is going to take place June 9th through the 11th here in Des Moines at the Iowa State Fairground. So fingers crossed on my end, we have this event because it really is a cool event. Even if you don't raise pigs or work in the swine industry, there's a lot of cool food, a lot of cool um, vendors that have some pretty cool products for the swine industry out there. And there's just a lot of good networking and uh, conversations that go on at this event, Ashton. So I really hope you get the opportunity to attend it with me this year. You know, when I was in high school, back when I was showing, I was always asking my dad if we could go to Expo because he would go up to Iowa and buy pigs all the time. And so he was always up there. I think he's been to Expo, but I never got to go. And so it would just be a dream. I think it's probably on my bucket list of things to do. It's not the normal bucket list. I don't think a 21-year-old girl would have, but (laughs) I would really love to go to Expo. So I'm glad that they're having that this summer. But uh, kicking off talking uh, about a story coming from Merck Animal Health, they recently announced that it has entered into multiple agreements to support the efforts to expand the manufacturing capacity and supply of COVID-19 medicines and vaccines. The company is set to assist Janssen Pharmaceuticals Incorporated to support the manufacturing and supply of Johnson & Johnson's vaccine, which I believe is the newest Um, vaccine that's hitting the markets. And Merck will use its facilities in the U.S. to produce drug substance, formulate and fill fill vials for Johnson & Johnson. And additionally, Merck has received $268.8 million in funding from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services to adapt and make available a number of existing manufacturing facilities for the production of the COVID-19 vaccine. But some livestock producers are worried that this shift in production could lower the production of animal vaccines. But according to Thomas Shad, who is the director of communications for North America at Merck, that's not the case. He was quoted as saying, for the most part, our animal vaccine plants are USDA approved. This particular COVID-19 vaccine is FDA approved. So that's why it most likely won't impact livestock because it won't be produced at animal animal manufacturing facilities will adapt like we always do. I can't say that it won't affect livestock at all, but for now, we're not planning to use those facilities to produce vaccines. And Merck is set to start manufacturing the COVID vaccine in its human manufacturing facilities later this month. All right. Well, let's see, Ash, and I have just one other quick piece of news here before we hop into chat markets that's looking down at our South American competitors more specifically today Argentina as we know they have been having quite a few weather issues as well and they suffered some extreme dryness heading into planting season this year that was followed by of course an influx of rain but today the Rosario grain exchange has slashed their soybean production forecast for Argentina down to 45 million tons from the previous 49 million tons number that was floated around earlier in the growing season. 
so far, we've seen a lot of scattered rains this year that have helped with some moisture in the fields, but they've been having a lot of a lot of different issues, I suppose, compared to Brazil. They've been having a lot of rain, but that rain still is not helping with soil moisture for this second soybean crop that they are currently trying to harvest. So we'll continue to watch this story. It has seemed to uh, have its impact, of course, on the markets, but we'll continue to watch that and see just how much production does get cut in Argentina. Well, Delaney, I'm glad you said you wanted to keep news short today because it's been quite a slow week, I would say, in the news wires. So I am ready to talk markets if you are. All right. I certainly am, Ashton. We are ready to talk markets for today. And it looks like we had a little bit of a turnaround today on this Thursday afternoon after we saw grains pull back pretty substantially yesterday. They're starting to make a slow recovery back. Kicking things off here in the May corn contract up four and a half cents today to close at 538 and a half. The Dece up three and a quarter cents to close at 483 and a half. Soybeans today higher as well as the May contract added three and three quarter cents to close at 1413 and a half. The November up five cents to close at 1243 and three quarters. Chicago wheat lower today as the March contract shed 14 and a half cents to close at 636 and a quarter. The May down 10 to close at 642 and a half. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, we saw some mixed trade across the cattle complex as the April live cattle contract shed 25 cents to close at 118.52 and a half. The June down 70 cents to close at 119.67 and a half. Feeder cattle mostly lower today as the March contract shed 95 cents to close at 135.25. The April down 45 cents to close at 141.27 and a half. And in lean hogs today, not quite limit moves higher, but still quite a bit of strength today as the April contract added $2.72.5 to close at $91.50. The May up $2.55 to close at $93.55. And wrapping out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures. March nine cents higher today to close at sixteen thirty seven. The April up twenty seven cents to close at eighteen thirteen. Without further ado, let's kick it over, Ashton, to our conversation with Doug Johnson of Moody's Analytics. Very excited to welcome today's guest. You may recognize him from the multitude of webinars he does every year, or if you are an ag lender, you may recognize him from some of the data software his company puts out. We are joined today by Doug Johnson, who is the ag strategist for Moody's Analytics. Doug, it's really a pleasure to have you on today. Delaney, thank you so much for asking. Uh, Looking forward to our conversation. So, Doug, tell us a little bit about your role with Moody's because you've been there for quite some time. So you've seen a lot of changes in the ag industry as well as at Moody's. Uh, Definitely. So, Delaney, I've been here with Moody's Analytics, formerly Web Equity, just over 27 years now. Um, I always like to say Moody's never hired me. They inherited me through the acquisition. So they kind of get what they get. Um, But my role here, it's actually a great role. They call me the ag strategist. So my responsibility is to help become a dot connector within the industry. Look at some of the challenges that ag lenders, ag producers face and try and connect the dots so everybody can be aware of what are the challenges, but also what are some of the best practice and the opportunities 
that we are seeing employed across the industry. So Doug, tell us a little bit more about, because as I mentioned earlier, you do a lot of webinars throughout the year. You work with a lot, mostly lenders, but also some producer angles as well. Tell us a little bit about your the theme, because it's usually a pretty common theme that you talk about when you're doing these webinars. Yeah, totally. So I probably do um, between ag webinars and we're doing a new um, ag fireside chat series, which is like a podcast. Um, There'll be probably 30, 35 different series this year. The theme is always going to be revolving ag production. And what are some of the challenges ag producers face? How are the ag lenders uh, facing some of those challenges and helping ag producers become what I call better at the business acumen versus the tractor driving. We all know that producers are fantastic at the production side. And I think where a lot of producers struggle, honestly, is at the marketing side. And and you can, a testament of that is just ask them, where were the regrets from 2020? Was it on the production side or did they have regrets on the marketing side? So these webinars that I do, uh, the theme is always a little bit of remember the eras of agriculture, some of the lessons that we've learned in the past. And we all know history tends to repeat itself, or at least it rhymes, as Mark Twain says. And then I talk about some of the disruptors that really challenge our business models, both on the farm and in the bank. And then talk a little bit about a big concern for everybody is what I would call the generational knowledge transfer, the knowledge drain that we're experiencing on the farm, in the bank, as we see retirement come in. How are we training that next generation of the experience that we've learned? So when I do these webinars, these podcasts, we we get audiences 300 up to 1,200 people. Um, so we have a very loyal following, I will say that, but, uh, it's all about the education. What are we seeing? What are we hearing? And are there any food for thought to get people to try and think differently about the business? So Doug, I'm glad that you mentioned some of these disruptions in agriculture because last year, 2020 was a really tough year for ag, not just because of COVID-19, but we had quite a few other disruptors as well. And some of those were kind of a domino effect from the pandemic. But why don't you dive a little bit deeper into what exactly those disruptors entailed? Delaney, I think the disruptors uh, for the good and bad of us taught us a lot of lessons. And I'll focus on just a couple examples here. When COVID hit, COVID-19 hit, what happened to our food supply chain? We had a major disruption, right? So we saw some of the packing plants have to close. Packing plant out east, when their employees got sick with COVID-19, they called farmers to come in and just keep the supply lines going. Uh, But then you look in the Midwest here, we had a couple of plants shut down. So then you had people dumping milk, euthanizing uh, livestock, couldn't get the livestock to sale. And I think one of the disruptors was number one, we weren't ready for the people issue. So when we had to have six foot social distancing in the packing plants, what was their cure? They put up plastic sneeze guards between people. And that that is a very, very short-term cure. One of the 
benefits in theory that could come out of this COVID-19 and packing plants, we know sneeze guards isn't the answer. Maybe what's going to happen is more technology, more automation. Now, the downside, if that happens and packing plants become more automated, that means that it could replace people with machines, just like the automotive industry. 70 years ago, 50 years ago, would anybody thought that a machine could weld a car together? No. So when we say, well, that'll never happen in the meat industry because the livestock's all different sizes, we have cars that drive themselves. So I struggle a little bit saying something can never be done. Another big disruptor that we need to all watch is lab-grown meat. Lab-grown meat, synthetic meat, fake meat, whatever you call it, lab-grown meat is very different than Beyond Meat or the plant-based meat. Lab-grown meat is cell-based. So instead of taking six weeks to get a chicken to market, instead of six weeks, six, six days. So now if you think of the impact of COVID-19, packing plants shut down, we can't get food in the grocery stores. What is a safe reliable alternative, it could be synthetic foods, lab-grown foods. So we all have to kind of watch for that. Another disruptor trend that I would like everybody to think about is carbon sequestration credits. So there's a big green energy movement going on, right? Save the planet. And feedlots and livestock producers are really being challenged on how do you control the methane? How do you control the carbon for the, the atmosphere? Right now, we are seeing a lot of noise in the industry for carbon sequestration credits, meaning incentives. We will pay you to do this if you follow these rules. Now, I know there's a lot of overhead on that. It takes a lot of management skills to manage the carbon sequestration. But if you think Five years from now, today we're being incented or given credit to sequester carbon. What happens five years from now? Does the incentive go away and it becomes a mandate? How do we manage and prepare our farms for the future that could be coming? Delaney, I don't know if that gives you some good background on just a couple uh, disruptors that kind of impact different areas of the industry, the packing plants, livestock producers, um, and then carbon sequestration, not to mention, you know, the green energies, uh, renewable energies. Yeah, Doug, a lot of those disruptors that you're talking about have to do with technology. And in your presentation that you just did earlier this month with, uh, I believe it was Missouri Bankers Association with Delaney, one of your slides talk about how it's not about precision ag technology anymore. It's now going to micro precision. So what exactly do you mean by that micro precision, micro precision technology? I'm sorry, that was a, a mouthful for me to say. Yeah. So precision agriculture folks, that's old, that's old school. Uh, that precision agriculture, you could argue when I was a kid on the farm trying to cultivate corn with a rear mount cultivator on a side hill and not wipe out the corn that at the day in the 70s was precision agriculture. Then we came up with GPS technology. Uh, that was precision agriculture. When I talk about 
the era of micro precision, when we were relying on GPS technology to drive the tractor, now we are relying on data, the GPS technology gathered and is helping us drive decisions on the farm. It is more than plug in and play into a piece of equipment to make that more efficient. The, the micro precision is now taking the data and leveraging that to make decisions on the farm specifically around the production, the expenses, and the marketing plans. If there is one area that I think everybody could look at improving in their operation, it's on leveraging data to help us tell a story and help us become better marketers. So micro precision, it's going to become more complicated to farm to manage it as a business. It's not about getting an attractor and doing a good job of planting and harvesting. That's the production side. Genetics have a lot of this covered for us. We have the technology to drive straight rows today. Now it's gonna be the management skills, taking data, synthesizing data, understanding and leveraging it to help make decisions, micro precision agriculture. Doug, you hit on a lot of great points there. And I think that leads nicely into my next question. You know, we've been on webinars together now a couple where we talk about the marketing aspect and working for an ag marketing firm myself. I see this firsthand where a lot of guys have a split. There's a divide between folks that focus on the numbers and the farmers that focus on the production agriculture. Some of that has to do with age to some extent, but how are we going to get past this divide or what are we going to have to see happen to, to force farmers or to see farmers actually focus more on their marketing and financial management as opposed to focusing all of their time and energy into production agriculture? Got a couple great stories for you. Marketing is so critical. <clears throat> um, did you know approximately less than 10% of producers have and execute on a marketing plan? Using the grain bin as a checkbook to pay bills as they come due, sell corn as bills come due, that's not a plan. And one of the stories that I interviewed a producer, he happened to be out on the East Coast. So him and his daughter, uh, we're running the farm operation. The producer, um, older gentleman, got laid up, and his daughter took over the financial side of the operation while he was recovering. She did the marketing of the commodities. When he got better, we were interviewing him. He said, when I got better and I was reviewing all the numbers, my daughter outperformed what I've historically done on marketing because she removed all emotion, didn't worry about hitting the home run to hit the high. She used her break-even analysis, her understanding of the numbers, and said, this is a profit. Is this a big enough margin for me to lock in and sell at this time? And she repeatedly did that to come up with a profitable year where he said, my ego, and this is this is his words, my egos and my emotions would have tried to swing for the fence and hit the peak because that's who I am. I'm very competitive. In the long run, what we need everybody to think about is create a plan, understand the bottom line to break even. What are your inputs for this commodity? 
Ideally, what are your inputs for this field? To know which field you're making money on. Some are worth cash renting. And you know what? Some are better off just walking away. If you can understand the break-evens by commodity or by field, then you can start to run different assumptions. Here's the price. What if the price is this? What if? What if? And then you have data to help drive when should I sell and be happy with a profit. It's hard to be upset if you've made money. It's better to leave money on the table than pay to learn and experience the hard way. So Doug, unfortunately, we're we're out of time, but you have a lot of great topics that I would love to hear further about that you talk about in your webinars, but you also have some pretty cool stuff coming up concerning a podcast. So why don't you just tell us a little bit more about what the future holds for you before we wrap up here? You bet. So I do these webinars. The one webinar I just did was on the ag commodity markets and five tips to improve profitability. After this web, after that webinar was done, now I'm doing micro podcasts. I call them Moody's Analytics Ag Fireside Chats. We are going to take themes from that webinar and break it down into like five different podcasts. And we're going to talk about some of the tips and the marketing, what does work, what doesn't work. I have multiple presenters at it. So we're going to get different viewpoints. And then I'll have a whole series in the future of different webinars and different uh, podcasts. Delaney is going to be on one of them coming up here soon as well. So really looking forward to um, this series coming up. Yeah, Doug, that'll be exciting. I'm uh, excited to join you on that here to see what we'll talk about. It's always fun when we get to get rolling on topics, that's for sure. But Doug, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really been a pleasure having you on. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. I, you know, I'm going to end with the tagline that I use at every single ag webinar or conference that I speak at. We all have to find ways to keep farmers farming and ag lenders lending. We're going to come into some challenging times up here. And if we're agile and we're thinking ahead on ways that we can improve the industry and ourselves, American agriculture is going to be great shape for the future. So thank you for asking. Thanks again there to Doug for coming on and talking to us today. It was certainly interesting and definitely one thing that I would love to have him on to talk more about is consumers and, you know, how they are going to impact the world of agriculture from here on out because his presentation definitely made some good points. So hopefully we can have him on again in the future, but if not, I think I'll be turning into some of those. I think he called them fireside chats. So I'm going to have to tune into those folks. Absolutely. I'm excited to join Doug for a fireside chat here coming up. I'll be sure to share that on the podcast when we do record that. But folks, catch up on any of the past podcasts you might have missed with us by heading to agnewsdaily.com while you're there. Check out all the other great podcasts that are part of Global Ag Network. And with that, Ashen, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.